Namo tassa bhagavatu arahanto samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavatu arahanto samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavatu arahanto samma sambuddhasa Uttang dhammang sanghang namasami One of the um, common metaphors or sort of underlying motifs in in the way that the Buddha presented the practices of a kind of heroism. It's often uh, it's, it's either specifically stated or it's underlying kind of reference, there's a certain heroic quality to it. Um, uh, of course we can say, well, the Buddha was a warrior or a member of the warrior caste or a prince or something like that, but... You know, there's also there's a teaching for many folk, and for men and for women. So it's not just some kind of macho uh, act, but real and, and something that's universal, certain heroic quality. I mean, not willing to put oneself on the line, if you like, to. Um, to bear, to bear with, to endure, to be resilient, to be resourceful. Real feeling also there's something to be overcome. Not so much conquered, you know, perhaps it's just overcome. There's a certain, you know, there is a motivation, there's a purpose in our in our lives and in our practice. And uh, requires this sense of courage and faith persistence, ingenuity, resourcefulness, resilience, skill, wisdom, these things that uh, we recognize in when one's a hero in terms of athletics or heroes, sometimes people have heroic struggles against diseases or cancer or addictions or you know personal problems. It isn't just a military occupation, it's a sense of really uh, meeting something that causes you to bring forth all your potential, your strengths, all your skills, all your wisdom. And it's actually, it's, seeing like that's a beautiful thing, not just the act of bravado or bravura. It's a thing where one comes into one's full potential. <clears throat> and so, you know, certainly we can see it in the stories of the, the Terries and the Terrors in these uh, books the scriptures, these uh, men and women who really had to struggle with, uh, you know, all kinds of personal problems, social difficulties, their marriages, their diseases, their disease, their um, physical environment, you know, and the doubts and the aversions and the doubts and the tumult of their own minds, you know, to 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 come to a place to res- to overcome that and come to a place of peace. This is a kind of practice for all of us. Well, to mention this uh, quality of heroism, you know, I think it, you know, in a way we live in an age of the anti-hero. You know, the cynic, the 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 one who puts things down. You know, uh, because heroism can seem so kind of conceited and uh, naive. You know, but isn't. But it actually it isn't about putting on some kind of show or becoming anything. The interesting thing about the Dhammic hero, it's not about being, becoming some big deal. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the amazing thing about it. It's, it's actually through overcoming the, the wish to become a big deal. <laughs> or to become, a, become pathetic, you know to become nobody or to become somebody, it's through overcoming this particular very powerful drive that we, we is, is the real uh, challenge. You know. So, you know, we don't get out of becoming just by deciding not to be anybody, because then you swing into becoming something else, you become a nobody, uh, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. And you can actually witness these, these uh, Personae arising in the mind in situations, you know, you, you think, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to get on with this. I'm going to make this. This is my thing. Or, 
oh, how can I get out of this? How can I back out of this? Somebody else's problem. Uh, you know, this kind of we either we kind of form ourselves either in reverse gear or in, or in forward gear, but we still form ourselves. We still come to these formations, and uh, these are sankara, called sankara activities, formations, formative tendencies, programs. These particular, you might say, psychological patterns that that uh, they. St- they they give rise to the sense of self. You know, if you run these patterns through, you become the dominant pattern that, that runs through. You know, either a kind of a reverse gear person or a first gear person or a top gear person or a, you know, or hanging in neutral. <laughs> so you still become something. You know, you become like, that becomes your identity, your stance. And uh, of course, most people have a, a range of stances depending on the situations that we find ourselves in. Either to, you know, we feel pain and we either, oh dear, I've got to do something about that, or just tough it out. <coughs> yeah. So a lot of our practice is just about how do you overcome this without becoming something else? Yeah. And uh, of course, there's only one answer to that, really which is uh, the deathless or realizing Nibbana. Everything else is going to be becoming something or another. And that's putting it very very succinctly, of course. So a lot of our practice is just about really acknowledging the sankara, the patterns, the programs that are running any given time, any different situation, how I become something. Ah, and recognizing as I become that, well, who is that? Do I want to be that? Do I have to be that? What's causing me to be that? Why am I held in that? Can I, is it, you know, is it something that, that's actually useful, skillful, helpful. Mm-hmm. Do I need that? Can I release myself from that? Can I release that? The, the grip of that? The holding in that? Can I come into somewhere more open and spacious? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that quality, that's, that's the, which like the continual um, challenge, isn't it? Because a lot of that, that, that patterning is held by we really need to be something. I don't be something I feel kind of pointless or vulnerable or floppy or weak or useless or not getting anywhere. So a lot of that uh, becoming is about a certain fear, you know, putting it strongly or anxiety, you might say, where we we should be something, otherwise it feels kind of unsettled, or we feel vulnerable. So many, you know, a lot of human activities just trying to be good enough so we don't feel we're not going to be attacked by others or sneered at by others or put down by others or left out by other people. So we want to make sure we look good enough, come up with the right stuff. Uh, so quite a bit of human activity's got this flavour to it. Not necessarily only that, but some of that. You know, nobody wants to look like an idiot. Nobody wants to look like a fool. Nobody wants to look like they're the, the weak one or the one who doesn't count. Yeah? Loss of loss of reputation, the loss of status, the loss of people's other people's affection or warmth or of kind regard. Yeah? So we try to do something, you know, to feel okay, to feel we're we're with the group or with other people. Uh, and if you notice as you might have noticed, <laughs> doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> you know, whatever you do, as a, a, as very Buddha's very succinctly says, there never was and never will be a person who wasn't blamed. Mm-hmm. Even the Buddha blamed, criticised. People tried to kill him. His own cousin tried to kill him. 
several times. So it was a, you know, it could be considered a bit of a social disgrace, really, when your own cousin tries to kill you. It's not, you know, you know didn't really make it as a top-class guru. That's the way it goes, isn't it? <laughs> the higher the profile you get, the more <laughs> you know you get the extremes of both uh, adoration, infatuation, and aversion. You know, it seems to draw that out. The more you figure, the more you become an object for other people's own tendencies to create you as good or bad or puffed up or need to be taught a lesson or who does he think he is or somebody's going to do me a favor or, you know, so this sense of, you know, sankaras are not just something we do to ourselves, they also we, we run them on other people. Our pet hates, our pet loves, our, our anima figures, our, you know, people we see as a kind of, you know, somebody's always trying to take over or somebody doesn't cooperate, you know, we kind of run these programs on other people. Yeah. And it's a real uh, tremendous challenge to to not fill in the blanks. So I just, really, I don't know anybody, actually. I can see certain things, I can feel certain things happen to me when other people start doing stuff. <laughs> but whether that's my stuff or their stuff or whatever it is, it's just stuff, you know. There's, there's a sense of irritation or aversion or fondness or interest or humor or warmth or whatever rushes through there it is you know and for that moment one becomes filled by that particular quality and it's none of it's conclusive you know? i can't say there's anybody i've ever really been able to sustain a continual either negative or positive program on it just kind of you know, some people you think you, oh God, I can't stand this guy, and then and it's kind of cute <laughs> or interesting or admirable. And other people, you know, you think, oh, she's a real winner, and they do something like, it's a bit wrong, you know. So you know, you, this is part of the thing one kind of learns, you know, and um, just to acknowledge that, you know. So we're trying to write, trying to fill in. This, this blank. And all you know is as you write one piece of script on it, if you're actually honest about it, you can't, you can never write the script. You can never get the whole story. You can never create anyone fully. You, you have a good try at it. But I would say the more uh, fully that you, you know, create a person, either internally or externally, the more one is addicted to karma, to sankharas. We're addicted to these patterns. We really believe in them. We want them. We need them. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a difficult thing. Addicted to sankharas means you're addicted to karma. It means you've got to keep doing something. You're going to do something to prove you are, or you're going to do something to prove somebody else is, you know. So it's quite a lot of uh, skill, or one of the one of the skills of the of, of uh, Buddhist heroism is restraint. Doesn't sound very it sounds very appealing, but it's that sense of just just hold it back, you know, before you come on full strong and this is it and that's it and this is the way she is and he's like that and we're going to do this. Wait a minute, just just hold back there. What's happening in your energy? What's happening in the, what you're putting out? It doesn't mean repress. It doesn't mean deny. It means just, just slow it down, take it back. Then you begin to really acknowledge, not quite so. There's some truth in it, but not quite so. And not quite so is not very satisfying for addicts. <laughs> you know? But that's the way you start to come out of it. You realize you're not going to get the final hit of that's that, and that's for certain, that's sure, now I know where I am. 
There we go in there. This is good. And that's he's right. She's wrong. This is it. And that's that. You know, not quite so. Is is you know what Lumpur Cha would often use as one of his main teachings on on would be not quite so or maybe so or minor, not certain. You know, she's good ish. He's good ish. It's quite good, probably. You know, maybe we'll be doing this tomorrow. I have the intention to be like that. <laughs> it's never actually never filled in. You just have a recognition of right now. It's, it feels like this, but not quite so. Yeah, and that's a there's a kind of heroism in that because it means you have to keep the space open and resist that tendency to, to close it down into certainty, to have it solid ground, to have black and white, to have winners and losers, to be, you know, and, and that's very addictive. Mm-hmm. That's what we mean, addicted to karma, because karma is action. It means you've got to keep doing things to back up your worldview. You've got to keep thinking thoughts about oneself and others. One has to keep committing oneself to, you know, regurgitating the same old stories in one head about what one is and what one isn't and why one never got and why it should be, you know. And we can do that for interminable ages, you know, about what I should be and what I am, what I'm not, what I'm going to be, what I can't be, why I can't be, what I, you know. And we can do the same thing about uh, others, what they are and what they aren't, why they are and why they aren't. And then we can spin out into various kinds of uh, activities and become compulsive, external activities, to somehow fill up that gap. The gap of non-being, which are not, not uh, moving away from, so when we, we come into what's called the desire to not become become nothing, means you, you come into another sense of solidity, another sense of, I am out of this, I am somewhere else. But this isn't about being somewhere else, it's being actually here and recognizing that all no sankara actually fits the ticket. Nothing you can say, nothing you can think, nothing you can do ever has a finality to it, a conclusion to it, the trumpets don't play, the curtain doesn't come down, you know, it's not, there's no finishing line. <laughs> what can do? Crash out, sleep, run, walk, sit, breathe, why, why? You lose motivation. But actually the motivation is to keep present with this sense, which at first is, of course, uncomfortable. <clears throat> but it's through that, that heroism, to maintain that, you begin to sense something, well, what do we say? You sense the ceasing of sankara. You sense them start to fade out. They lose their glitter. They lose their impulse. They don't run through your nerve endings so strongly. They don't catch you so strongly. You don't quite get the same sense of emotional conviction in the patterns of despair or jubilation or I am this or I'm never that. You go, oh, there it is again. And it starts to fade and weaken. And you get, how do you say it? But there's something there, there's a kind of a something there, or you might, you know, some ability to be there as sankharas dissolve. Mm-hmm. And this really is uh, all I can say about it. You know, as every, every other word starts to create something else, but one can certainly experience that. <clears throat> and you can experience progressively over time how pieces, you know, certain programs don't run anymore. You know, I was noticing this because I was trying to recognize I'd, I'd sort of um, decided to teach a, 
a, a, a retreat, a small retreat, well, just a day long, down in Devon on dealing with the inner tyrant. This thing, that, this kind of nagging voice that keeps oppressing you and demanding you be something and beats you up and continually recriminates you and says you're not good enough and you should be this and when you're going to be that. And I thought, I realised that was very really clear for me. Actually, I haven't got one. <laughs> you know, I didn't realise it, you know, because it's always been part, somewhere there, you know, something that everything you do is just, oh, no, it's, yeah, don't even, so what? You know, yeah. Oh dear, I haven't, got, I haven't got one to talk about. And yet they don't, you don't get a drum roll as when these things fade out. Uh, they just, you notice it just doesn't come back so often. It comes back less often. And then you realise, oh, it hasn't happened. You know, bits of bits have actually terminated. And you didn't kind of stand there with your sword hacking it to pieces. It just you just got less and less infatuated, less and less fascinated by it. You come out of the addiction to that particular program. Addiction is a strange experience. Uh, human beings uh, are addict. We all we can experience addictions of various kinds. Mm. Addiction means there's something that you can't stop doing, even though you probably know it's not doing you any good. And there are several stages in addictions. First of all, you know, if you drink or drugs, you think you just you play with this, you can turn it off any time you like. That's fine, you know, you're not really hooked on this, you can just just doing it for because you feel like it. That's the first stage, denial. <laughs> so you go into denial. Yeah. Uh, and then the sense of, well, I, I'm, yeah, I do this pretty much all the time, but it's kind of harmless and okay. <laughs> like everybody does. Or you hang out with other people who do, so it doesn't stand out so much. <laughs> yeah. We all do this. This is our kind of this is our buddies, you know, my drinking buddies, my dope buddies, my whatever they are, you know, so it doesn't stand out. You know. And then maybe you start to put down people who aren't as being prudish or prim or so, you know, stuck up or square, you know, you get into that. It takes a while before you start to really get the sense of, geez, I'm stuck on this. And then you get stuck on it. Uh, you know, the, you, you get a strong feeling you can't do anything about it. You're powerless. <coughs> so in my, many years ago, in my early 20s, I used to live with a load of junkies, heroin addicts, and uh, many of them actually, uh, 50. It was an interesting time. Um, yeah. It wasn't. There wasn't any point in having any personal possessions in those days because anything you did, <laughs> people just stole it. <laughs> you know, come back one day, they'd even got the taking the light bulb out of my room. <laughs> they just because everything you've got, they just took it, stole it, and sold it for dope. <laughs> yeah. You know, you couldn't put a padlock on your door because they steal the padlock. <laughs> steal the door as well. <laughs> and it was amazing how many of these people were actually, <clears throat> you know, were kind of, uh, there were different stages of it, people who felt they were just uh, experimenting, people felt they were, yeah, they, could, they were on top of this, and then people who felt they'd really lost it and were completely underneath it. You know. And most, most people who actually you know, uh, had to get to, first of all, the, 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 there's some sense that they could be other than this. You know, some sense that, that they knew it was not only doing the harm, but they could also be other than this. They didn't have to be the wretched person that they'd become. And that was mainly, that was the main thing, actually. You know, it wasn't, it was obviously the physical addiction, but it's the psychological addiction to the sense of 
you know, you deserve this, this is what you are, or this is all you can be. You're a no-hope or you're stuck in this. You can't become anything else. Hmm. <clears throat> and that was the main thing they had to get over, to get out of it. And then you can, then you can once you've got that, then it really can be done. You know, you, you, but often you've got to go on to other things like methadone for heroin. So you have to take something else to fill up you know, the, 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 the gap, you might say. <clears throat> and addictions like that. You're a substitute. <clears throat> you know, so certainly in, um, when we look at addiction more broadly, you know, addiction to the sense of self, of being something. And, you know, we've all probably got hooked on that one to some degree. You yeah. So you have to kind of take on a, another addiction to say being good <laughs> or being a meditator or being a nun or being a monk or you know being a lay disciple or being a Buddhist you know and that's your kind of that's that's the methadone <laughs> that's the thing you kind of get weaned off of the other things with and you can so you can you know because it gives you a sense of satisfaction a sense of having a firmness a sense of values a sense of identity you've got your buddies who are also in a, doing the same thing, you know? So before they were all doing pot or booze or smack or something, now they're all doing Buddhism. <laughs> and you think, well, you know, so that everybody else who's not is kind of not cool anymore. So well, this is our tribe, you know, we're in this. And, uh, you know. But of course, uh, you know, and you can go through various stages with that. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, people get pretty revved up on it. (coughs) This is the kind of weaning stage. It's a place where you do develop. It's not to be, not, you can't skip it. I don't, I don't believe you can skip it. You know, certainly the Buddha didn't think you could. He felt you really want to become something, you know, a skillful being. Uh, you know, um, and there's a certain, with that, there's a certain sense of chanda, of motivation that goes with that. And you, you know, you really start to feel pretty good with that. It's pretty much, <clears throat> there's a kind of pioneering quality to it, which can last, you know, a few years. Uh, depends. Mm. It's rather like the, uh, uh, you know, when I start, first started, got my first, started doing Buddhism, mainlining it. Um, you know, I was in Thailand, and <laughs> then I was doing like 14 hours a day meditation straight, you know, which was actually, you know, uh, considering I also went arms around and had, had a meal and other stuff, so it's quite a lot. You know, I do all night sits, three nights in a row, all day and all night, you know, continual things. It's, and it wasn't really even, it wasn't really, it was a kind of an effort. But it was strange because it wasn't, it wasn't pushy, it was just like a real sense of, I couldn't get enough, you know. It's like something really craved that, to get into some depth, to find some... In, you know, some kind of intensity, some some mental equilibrium, real craving for that. You know, so I wasn't really driving; it was just just following a drive that was there. You know, coming out of one particular pretty freewheeling um, movement into something that's actually very deepening, and 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 just the real determination to stay exactly where I was and meditate. And you, get, and you get quite high just from that sense of, of motivation. Mm. And then why isn't everybody else doing this? You know, people aren't doing this, probably haven't got it together. People aren't doing this as slackers. People aren't doing this wasting their time. People aren't doing this as worldlings, you know. So you, you know, with any kind of thing that you become, you can always start to, you know, that's, that's the unpleasant side effect, you know. You start to, ju- you know, somehow amplify and strengthen this set of sankharas yourself, 
you're doing this and everybody else is on the outside, you know, just like when you were doing booze or whatever, pot, you know, everybody else is square. Or, hmm. So, <clears throat> and then we came, came to England and then it was, we got, got, really got into the, this particular um, tradition, situation, which wasn't so much meditation, but it had a real thing on, on, on uh, vinya. So I got really, oh, this is it, this is the, got really hungry and interested in all this kind of vinya training and vinya details and, and uh, you know, refined methods of behavior and conduct. And then asceticism, austerities, dutangas. So much so that, you know, people really kind of assumed that's, that's who I am. And certainly I've been on that, in that way for a while. And uh, yeah, that's part of part of what happens. Definitely, that kind of drive in that direction. And and then we started, you know, building this uh, community. So that was another thing to get kind of revved up about, because it was the only one. So there you are, this real pioneering heroism and uh, tremendous sense of <coughs> kind of energy that came from. Meeting that, we uh, had to work a lot. Work was it, really. We'd sort of have our morning meditation, and then about eight o'clock or so, we'd have, a, we'd have seven o'clock, we'd have a morning meeting, and uh, you know, either just tea or some very thin, you know, gruel, which was actually considered a little bit lavish in those days, but we had sort of tolerated it because people we were just passing out on the work front fainting on the road <laughs> so I thought I had to keep the bodies going and then we work we work from 8 in the morning till 5 in the evening and then you know solid all day and then they were trying to keep the old standards going so they would also sit up all night every once a week on the, on the half moons and full moons and new moons and then you say so you, you come day work you sit up all night goes on till maybe four and you kind of slump down somewhere and get up at six and then do another day's work you know and this went on day in day out day in day out um for a while i think we went from both and then we had a after about six months of this we had a break so people were i mean you know people were falling all over the place and there were like four or five people in a room um so with the because the house was so rotten, there weren't enough rooms, and the rain came through the ceiling, through the roof. So you just basically just kind of found a place. You're so tired anyway, it didn't really matter. You just kind of find a place with enough flooring to fall down. Who else was there? It didn't really matter. <laughs> the decor wasn't an issue, you know. It just had enough floor that wouldn't fall apart when you lie down on it. It's good enough. And that felt really great. <laughs> you know, it's, it's strange how something so so wretched feels because it's so solid. It was so solid, you know. And everybody, you couldn't you couldn't kind of speculate or doubt or have a feeling. You, there wasn't room to have a feeling. <laughs> it's just full on. <laughs> yeah, and then I was in charge of the the. the Distribution of tea, so it's tea and sugar. So I was the kind of guy with the key, you know. So I was, you know, when I came in, the room fell quiet, you know, because what was I going to dish up for tea? Which is generally something of a meagre, because the you know, feeling was the, the the lower the better, you know. So I remember, you know, sometimes tea got to be full of chocolate and things and, and we just dish up some green tea or one day I actually dished up some dental mouthwash and didn't realise what it was <laughs> it's this kind of pink bottle of pink fluid that somebody had given us so I thought it was stra- strawberry cordial <laughs> it, turned out, it turned out to be dental mouthwash and, people kind of think, and the idea was you drink it and you couldn't complain because that's considered <laughs> considered naff you know if you complain some people just swigging this mouthwash going <laughs> <laughs> really solid 
feeling into it. <laughs> and, you know, and then, uh, and then it went to the Hana monastery, which is, if anything, worse, because that, uh, which is starting that place up, because it didn't have, um, didn't have much at all, really. It didn't have heat. Didn't have water. It had one cold water tap, which he, with no drain under it, so he put a basin under it to bathe. And there was, they finally put a toilet in, but they didn't put a, a wall around the toilet. <laughs> that was kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the toilet sitting in the middle of the kitchen. <laughs> so, fortunately, you know, being kind of manly nature. <laughs> We considered such, you know, unnecessary refinement as being a bit beneath us. <laughs> but they did pull a sort of screen across this toilet. But they didn't have windows in the toilet, so the snow used to come through the windows onto the toilet seat and just kind of sweep <laughs> snow off. It was probably the most wretched monastery I've ever been in. <laughs> There's only three of us, uh, three, you know, and we did the, did the sitters practice and a bit of fasting as well, just to kind of up the ante. <laughs> so you know, you come out of that like kind of battle hardened, and the rest of the world looks like you know, a bunch of sissies and uh, <laughs> <laughs> people have doors on their toilets. You can see, obviously. <laughs> A hut was he kind of some kind of hang up, you know. <laughs> but then you had to kind of recognize, oh, I don't like this. How come I'm starting to look down on everybody, you know? And so you get the sense of the 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 real addiction to particular patterns and programs, and how you know it really fills you, and you get really convinced by it, and it certainly. Yeah, it's quite, in some ways, you can say, oh, it's pretty good. You know, to be strong and tough and be able to manage all that, it's good. But not so, maybe so. Somewhat good. Some good in it, maybe so. And yet, you know. What was, you know, after that, the the challenge really was, um, for me, was being at Amrawadi, which was um, people. You know, enormous numbers of people. And uh, of all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ajahn Samedi would take me to the Buddhist Society Summer School, which I found, you know, teeth grittingly painful because it was, you know, it's like people just sitting around drinking tea and talking about Descartes and uh, Spinoza and haiku and flower arranging. I think, oh my God, this is Buddhism. It's so soft. <laughs> so wimpish, so pathetic. You know, do half an hour of meditation in a day. It's Buddhism. You know, and some of them just there'd be a bar there, and they'd be pulling off pints. You know, Tibetans be knocking back pints, <laughs> wanting to eat <laughs> in the evenings. So you got the old uh, sense of um, scorn and contempt. Sankara really got good airing on that one. <clears throat> I was thinking, well, somehow this isn't this isn't it, is it? This is making me a, somehow a, a nicer or more balanced person. I'm just getting more and more opinionated. Uh, and then being at Amrawadi, where there's all kinds of people coming in with some of them just definitely slightly potty, you know, um, you know, or in various cases states of despair, or you know, suicidal, or. You know, like that. Jeez. And suddenly you couldn't run the old um, socket to them um, programs anymore. People who've been so socked to, they were kind of on the floor. You know, you couldn't tell them to pull themselves together, get out there and, you know, do something. And they're actually having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. So it was a different kind of. Uh, challenge you realize just to you know you create 
sometimes you just create enough just create enough space for somebody to talk to, to be there as somebody who people can talk to. Which is a very different gearing because then you're not really doing anything. And you're not achieving anything, and you're not solving anything, and you're not making anything happen, and you're not conquering anything, you just be there and listen to people talking, their problems, their difficulties, their pain, without being able to do anything about it, you know, seemingly. And you sit and listen, half an hour, an hour or so, and you feel this stuff moving around, and then they go and say, thank you very much, that was wonderful. You know, in fact, you just sat there and, and listened. You know, that was a real um, practice. A kind of realize that heroism has got another aspect to it. It's the ability to receive and be affected. You know, because I found the most difficult thing was just how, you know, beneath the crust of the personality, just how affected the heart is. You know, the thing, I'm trying to do something, I don't like this, people's suffering, I don't want to receive people's suffering, it upsets me. It makes me feel I should try and fix it and solve it. I don't like people crying, it upsets me, it makes me feel I should try to make them stop being unhappy. You know, that all that kind of thing going on. And yet, just to keep just being present and uh, the feeling of hopelessness and not being able to do anything and why do people bother me with their stuff and I should be doing something more important and useful and I could be meditating now and build something, kick something, fix something, solve something you know, and just, just keep letting go of that and uh, from feeling of uh, you know, there's, there's something in, that has to be met here you know, and it's in a different different gearing from the, you know, up and at them, out of the trenches, knock them dead stuff, you know. But it was an, another kind of practice. Mm. And to see the difficulty in, in doing that. Fortunately, you know, there's been always had that basic understanding whether, whether, wherever there's some suffering, you know, you might say it's the basic insight wherever one experiences suffering. That's something to be looked at. That's something to be investigated. That's something to be get some attention around. You know, receive it, acknowledge it. This is suffering here. It's not anybody else. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> and the possibility, you know, once you've begun to get some sense of a little bit of, of release of that, that suffering is something you can come out of. And that's the main thing, you know, you might say that in order to overcome an addiction, you really have to understand that you don't have to be that. There is a way out. You don't have to be the person. You don't have to be the hero. You don't have to be the loser. You don't have to be the winner. You don't have to be the popular. You don't have to be the unpopular. You know, you can come out of that. Whatever program is running, no matter how it runs through your veins, runs through your nerves, churns in your guts, grabs your throat, pounds in your head. Okay, but there's a way out of that. Yeah. There's a way out of that. And uh, that's, that's better than any other thing you can experience. It's better than running another program. You may have to run programs in order to come out of other ones. You may have to take the the um, palliatives, you know, the sense of belonging to something or being something or you know being good at something. Fine, you know, we, to in order to come out of the really difficult trapped place, if you come to somewhere where it's a little more more directed. <clears throat> getting good at meditation, being able to sit for long times, to maintain silence, to get a sense of clear moral boundaries, so you get a sense of self-respect, you can do that. But the aim, of course, is, yeah, that may be so. 
It's, it's not it. It's not about becoming, you know, the greatest. Mm. You know, the one who, the real expert, the top of the pile. It's just about coming out of your programs. Yeah, this is our <coughs> so this evening, Nanangarika Santusika, going from homelessness into home. <laughs> so it's becoming part of a community. So this again is a kind of a major practice in its own right. You know, how we receive others, you know, Realizing we'll never know them, mm. realizing we'll have all kinds of feelings and opinions about them, they have all kinds of feelings and opinions about us, and yet somehow the sense of restraint, you say, there's a mystery, there's always something that I will never know, there's something I can't fill in about you, and I don't need to do that. You know, I don't want to do that, I want to leave some space there, I don't want you to be my projections. And uh, so there's a kind of sense of both sharing the space and yet also acknowledging, you know, we're really aiming here to come out of all this, you know, to not be configured. You know. And the community life is where you start to see, see I see anyway myself, a huge amount of self-programmed running, you know, trying to fit in, trying to make sure that I'm okay with everyone else. When you're in a group, there's that strong thing. Am I acceptable to the rest of the group? It's a good program. Maybe so. You won't be acceptable to the whole group. Believe me. (laughs) All the time, you know. But it's a good one. Then, can I sure that I'm being authentic and independent? You know, I don't want to just be kind of someone who's blindly following. Well, that sounds good. Maybe so. <laughs> Watch that one too. <laughs> you know, because they're feeling you can kind of think, oh, I'm not with this, you know. Or responsible for it all. Well, that's a good, that's a nice program. Responsible. Make it work. Well, that's a good one. Make it work, the make it work program. Oh, yeah, believe that one. No, <laughs> it isn't going to work. <laughs> Give it all up. Nope can't do that <laughs> you know but through recognizing you know just the ones that are running any particular time and we're not even trying really to crush them but just to sense that's running there it is you know? and it's like a hair's breadth away you're not actually trying to stop being that you just want to witness it and not hold it, not intensify it, not act upon it, not buy into it. So you get a sense of this is the meanness as it's happening now. You know? And it's, a, it's the middle point. myself being here for a number of years apparently (laughs) and then it's it's, it's a sort of strange uh, position to be a kind of focal point or periods of time to be a focal point you get the brown manila envelopes with to the abbot written on them go to meetings we are called the abbot responsible for yeah. you figure out we want to do it right we want to make it work for everyone so it's a good place good training good place good training happy people good training good place happy people <laughs> maybe so <laughs> Can you say, well, I, want, I don't care a damn about it, fall apart? No. 
That's not that's not a good program either. Yeah. But through the just getting the sense of the continual struggling and trying to make it this and make it that and getting fed up with it and wanting to run away and who cares anyway and poor me and so hard and you know this kind of thing it's just just maybe so to all of it (laughs) and uh, you know trying to be something other than than uh, the thing that's running it's actually we recognize that uh, monastic life is a kind of impossible <clears throat> you know when you see the the contradictions we're practicing understanding the impermanence and yet the place depends upon a certain stability you know we're practicing not self and yet we've all got names and quite distinctly configured roles and positions you know yeah. We practice, we're understanding, you know, unsatisfactoriness and that, and yet we're trying to make things happy and comfortable. <laughs> we're in this continual contradiction of uh, experience. And it's actually that's, that's the living the contradiction, seems to me, you know, the place where you wear out the sankharas. Because you know. it's not this, it's not that, it's not in the middle, it's not. Yet here it is, and you know, take some. Um, I think more than just um, you know vigor or strength. It takes some clarity, some discernment, some compassion, humor, time, patience, you know, and companionship to really find that subtle balance where the sankharas can move. And change, fade. And some of them actually disappear, don't arise again. <clears throat> so this is a <clears throat> is one a sense of it, you know. Practice is sometimes what we do and it's sometimes what gets done to us. Uh, sometimes it's about how we are the situation we're in and meeting that. There's also the sense of what we put into it. It's a mixture. Mm. So tonight we have a a meditation (coughs) vigil. (coughs) Just the being (coughs) present with the energies as they change through through the hours, through the evening, the mind states, and uh, Maintaining the some sense of uh, perseverance, persistence, to just hold that, to be with that. Yeah. The mind kind of, I uh, can't be bothered, why bother tomorrow, you know, today I'm feeling this and that and the other. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. It's up to you, isn't it? Mm. Anyone? Mm-hmm. <clears throat>